Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Happy Friday, friends. Sorry for the delay on episodes this week. I had something going on every single night this week, content-wise, so it's a good problem to have, but it cuts into my ability to stay awake long enough to write a show up. I did fall asleep twice writing this show, by the way. Um, So first up, uh, Palmetto State Armory deal of the day. Obviously, I think it's pretty amazing. Y'all know that I stand the Rock 5-7. There is a Blem available on the site for only $349.99. That's a really great deal on that gun. It's regularly $549.99. Check out the link in the show description. And we're going to start off with the gigantic elephant in the country this morning. Texas has called Joe Biden's bluff, and the Biden administration has given Governor Abbott 48 hours to let the Border Patrol into El Paso Park in order to cut the wire and thus let thousands of illegal migrants in. Note that for the month of December last year, more than 380,000 illegal migrants went through El Paso before transferring to other states with the help of the Biden regime. As of this recording, 25 governors are backing Texas Governor Greg Abbott. The question on everyone's minds is what happens tomorrow when the ultimatum expires and access to the El Paso Park is not granted? Is Biden going to take federal control of the Texas National Guard and then be in open conflict with its own citizens? This is yet another case of adding gasoline onto the dumpster fire that is this administration. There's a great deal of moronic commentary accusing the state of Texas of defying the Supreme Court. In point of fact, the Supreme Court did not actually order Texas to do anything. It vacated an order by the Fifth Circuit that during the pendency of an ongoing lawsuit between the feds and the state, barred federal authorities from cutting concertina wire that Texas has installed in parts of its 1,254-mile border with Mexico. That is, the Supreme Court, with no opinion and over the objection of four justices, also, who also did not write, held that for now, the lower courts may not prevent the federal authorities from dismantling barriers. That Supreme Court action did not direct Texas to do anything. The court did not presume to tell Texas that it could not take action to protect its territory and exclude intruders. To have done so would have been constitutionally dubious for the reasons that Justice Scalia explained nearly a dozen years ago in his Arizona v. United States opinion, which Governor Greg Abbott has explicitly relied on, which should be read, reread, memorized. Abbott described the 2012 Scalia opinion as a dissent. It actually concurred in part and dissented in part with the, the multi-layered decision. But there's no doubt that the federal and state governments both have immigration and border enforcement authority. 
how they work out disputes, particularly under circumstances in which no attempt has been made by Congress in statutory law to prevent the lawful defensive measures Texas has taken. It is a political question. This is vertical rather than horizontal powers, separation of powers. Collision between federal and state authority rather than presidential and congressional authority, but the dynamic is similar. The law's preference is for the political officials who answer to the people whose lives are deeply affected to work it out. Although I disagree with the high court's vacating of the Fifth Circuit injunction against the DHS, I think that I understand why it was done. Border enforcement is a political duty, not a judicial one. It involves matters of security and diplomacy that are not within the judicial ken. The state government has border enforcement authority. The federal government has border enforcement authority. The actor whose border enforcement authority is questionable is the court. I assume the court was uncomfortable with federal judges telling the Biden administration how to carry out border enforcement. I assume the justices would be equally reluctant to endorse a court's telling Texas how to do it. In any event, no court has presumed to tell Texas that it may not erect more barriers. Texas can install more razor wire, even if the feds keep cutting it, until there is some resolution. The underlying case is on an expedited schedule before the Fifth Circuit. This dispute will play out politically more than legally. The civil war talk is hyperbole, driven by Democrats, who grasp that Biden's position is not politically sustainable, especially with Election Day just months away. This is why Biden is desperate to cut a deal with moderate Senate Republicans. When that falls apart, not because of Donald Trump's machinations, but because it's a terrible deal for the country. Biden will either have to cave, which means he'll have to engage in actual border enforcement and refrain from interfering in state border enforcement, or seek election as the president who is suing the beleaguered people of Texas on behalf of illegal aliens, having ushered into the country more than 6 million of them. That's more than the population of 33 states, by the way. If we're going to talk about who is defying the law, that's easy. It's Biden, not Texas. When it's said that the states must comply with federal law, that means statutory law, not the whims of the executive. Biden's policy is not federal law. Federal law, which the president refuses to faithfully execute, calls for detention. As I have explained multiple times before, the Biden administration's actions are in gross violation of the law. To repeat, in Title VIII, U.S. Code, which is where the immigration laws are located, Section 1225B1B4 states, Any alien subject to the procedures under this clause shall be detained pending a final determination of credible fear of persecution and if found not to have such a fear, until removed. That is the presumptive rule. Even aliens who may have a valid fear of persecution 
They are supposed to be kept in custody until that claim is adjudicated. They are not to be released into the United States of their own recognizance. That is a congressional statute. There is no plausible claim that it is unconstitutional. Therefore, the president's sworn duty is to execute it faithfully. There are two exceptions to the presumptive rule. Number one, under section 1225B2C, if an alien arrives on land from a foreign territory contiguous to the United States, the attorney general may return the alien to that territory pending a removal proceeding. This is the section on which Trump relied to establish the Remain in Mexico policy with Mexico's cooperation, which required aliens who tried to get in from Mexico to wait there until we could hold their removal hearings, which they were almost certain to lose. This stopped many aliens from making the trip northward in the first place. So it's not only an eminently legal exercise of sovereignty, it's a humanitarian policy. Under Section 1182D5A, the Attorney General may parole otherwise ineligible aliens into the United States, but only on a case-by-case basis for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. The next subsection is an emphatic that this applies only to individual aliens and does not include mass parole. The Attorney General may not parole into the United States an alien who is a refugee unless the Attorney General determines that compelling reasons in the public interest with respect to that particular alien require that the alien be paroled into the U.S. rather than be admitted as a refugee. So that's what the law says. Aliens who are apprehended trying to enter our country illegally are supposed to be detained. The only alternatives are one, return to contiguous country and await until removal hearing, or two, parole based on individual circumstances if supported by compelling U.S. interests. The mass parole authority that Biden has claimed he has doesn't exist. In the same vein of being non-existent, let's talk about Biden and his lack of anything meaningful in his campaign. In addition to circulating gossip that Obama rushed to a secret meeting where he confronted Biden about his fading chances to hold off Donald Trump, Joe Biden holds a 360-degree view of bad news. Everywhere he turns, trouble looms in his bid for a second term. The economy? They say it's rebounding, with a surge last week in profits for investors, but consumers are not confident. Foreign affairs? Russia and Ukraine are still fighting. Israel is still on the hunt for Hamas, with Gaza taking a gruesome beating. So many hostages waiting to go home, and our troops are taking major fire in Iraq and Syria. North Korea is launching ICBMs and threatening to nuke South Korea. China is making moves to take over Taiwan. The southern border? We just went over that. It's not good either. This is all hitting Biden right in his approval ratings, as it should. The best news for Biden right now is what was seen by many progressives as the worst thing to happen to his first term. 
the conservative majority of the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade's constitutional protection for abortion in June of 2022. Just a quick correction there. It was a state's rights issue. It was kicked back to the states. And there is no such thing as a constitutional protection to abortion. I've read the Constitution. That one isn't in there. The issue that drives voters giving Biden his best opportunity to bounce back is abortion. Because yes, let us all rejoice that the degeneracy has hit an all-time high so that a president can disregard all of his shortcomings as long as he talks about preserving the right for irresponsible women to continue murdering their babies. Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, along with Democratic surrogates, spent this week talking about the 51st anniversary of Roe's landmark ruling. That assembly was heavy with swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Biden and Harris spoke to a cheering crowd in Northern Virginia on Tuesday and made sure to place the blame for the end of Roe squarely on President Donald Trump now that the likely Republican nominee for president, that he is the nominee for president. Biden drew his longest and strongest round of applause when he vowed to veto any federal abortion ban if Congress passes one. And he called on the crowd to give Democrats full control of the U.S. House and Senate in this year's election to restore reproductive freedoms. Reproductive freedoms. Some George Orwell shit going on with calling the murder of unborn babies reproductive freedom. Reproductive itself means the act or process of reproducing. If you kill it, you're not producing anything. I don't think this court and the MAGA Republicans have any clue about the power of women in America. They're about to find out, Biden said. There's one other person who doesn't have a clue about the power of women in America. It's Donald Trump. But I promise you in 2024, he's going to find out about the power of you all. More speeches like this, and I'm going to end up having to make a whole product line of Repeal the 19th merchandise. In more Repeal the 19th news, after spending nearly three years seeking to hold Donald Trump and his allies accountable for trying to overturn the 2020 election, the Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis faces a series of imminent critical choices that could upend her consequential case against the former president and 14 remaining co-defendants. The stakes could hardly be higher, said Clark Cunningham who is a law professor and ethics expert at Georgia State University. Michael Roman, a seasoned Republican operative and one of the defendants in the wide-ranging racketeering case, filed a motion earlier this month seeking the disqualification of Willis and Nathan Wade, an outside lawyer, lawyer hired by Willis in 2021 to assist with the Trump case. In court filings, though, Roman alleged Willis and Wade were in a romantic relationship and that Wade had used some of his more than $650,000 that he earned working for her to pay for vacations for the two of them. Bank records made last week showed that Wade had paid for tickets himself and Willis 
to California in 2023 and Miami in 2022. Neither Willis nor Wade has confirmed or denied a romantic relationship yet. And Willis said that all of the special prosecutors she hired were paid the same rate. While experts cautioned they were waiting for Willis and Wade to respond to Roman's claims, it has already caused a headache for Willis because those pesky pesky ethics, uh, whose case has long been seen as one of the strongest efforts to hold Trump accountable for 2020. Because this case is in Georgia state court, it also immunes, oh my gosh, it is also immune from Trump's interference should he win the election. As a legal matter, I don't see much of anything yet that would make me think a disqualification is likely said Anthony Michael Kreese, a law professor at Georgia State University, who's closely followed the case. In terms of the political bucket, it's both an optics disaster, but it's also been a lot of political malpractice from the office for not responding. So this drip, drip, drip is a problem. A disqualification would upend the case against Trump and significantly delay it. If the judge, Scott McAfee, were to disqualify Willis's office from handling the case, the executive director of the Prosecuting Attorney's Council of Georgia would appoint a replacement. There's no time limit on how long that could take, though. It could entirely derail the entire enterprise, Kreese said. Wade was a municipal judge and well-known lawyer in the Atlanta suburbs with little prosecutorial experience before Willis hired him to work on the Trump case. Let me repeat that one more time really fast. Wade was a municipal judge and well-known lawyer in the Atlanta suburbs with very little prosecutorial experience before Willis hired him to work On the Trump case, we're talking about someone who you're telling me he has limited prosecutorial experience, and you're putting that guy, that's your guy, that you're going to put on the case of the former president of the United States to essentially, you're banking on him being able to keep him from ever running for president again. It's fucking wild. The two met in 2019 during a legal education course for judges, and he became a confidant and mentor to Willis. Willis told New York Times in 2022 that Wade was not a first choice to work on the prosecution team, but she approached him after other more experienced lawyers turned her down. Wade was tepid, too, she told the Times, telling her he didn't have much process. Oh, I already read that part. Uh, She eventually convinced him to join the team. I need someone I can trust, she told the Times. Willis has had a brush with disqualification already. In June of 2022, when a special purpose grand jury was still investigating the case, she had a political fundraiser for Charlie Bailey, the Democratic opponent of Burt Jones, the Republican nominee for lieutenant governor who served as a fake elector for Trump in 2020, whatever that means. Jones was under investigation by the special purpose grant. It's amazing. They're attacking somebody who was a fake governor, but you're literally telling me 
that in essence, this employee did something terrible and it's like something else has to be worse. It's crazy. Judge Robert C.I. McBurney disqualified Willis's office from handling any part of the case against Jones. Now citizens are showing up to city council meetings to demand the case be dropped due to the impropriety of taxpayer funds being used to what appears to be enriching yourself. In what might be the two most, or the most, like rules for thee but not for me moments that I can recall, Trump White House official Peter Navarro has been convicted of contempt of Congress for refusing to cooperate with a congressional investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol and was sentenced on Thursday to four months behind bars. He's the second Trump aide convicted of contempt of Congress charges, the first being former White House advisor Steve Bannon, who received a four-month sentence but is free pending appeal. Navarro was guilty of defying a subpoena for documents and a deposition from the January 6th House Committee. He served as a White House trade advisor under then-presidential Donald Trump and later promoted to the Republicans' basis claims of mass voter fraud in 2020. He lost to Democrat Joe Biden. I don't, I must have been falling asleep when I typed that because that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta told Navarro that it took chutzpah for him to assert that he accepted responsibility for his actions while also suggesting that his prosecution was politically motivated. You are not a victim. You are not the object of a political prosecution, the judge said. These circumstances are of your own making. Navarro's attorneys filed a notice that he is appealing the conviction and the sentence. Navarro said he couldn't cooperate with the committee because Trump had invoked executive privilege. The judge barred him from making that argument at trial, however, finding that he didn't show Trump had actually invoked it. Navarro said before his sentencing that the House committee investigating the January 6th attack had led him to believe that it accepted his invocation of executive privilege. Nobody in my position should be put in conflict between the legislative branch and the executive branch, he told the judge. Meta said that asserting executive privilege is not, quote, magic dust to avoid a duty. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. A federal prosecutor, John Crabb Jr., told the judge that the Justice Department enforces the law without fear, favor, or political influence. And so I can't wait to see Hunter Biden get convicted of contempt of Congress if this is how we're going to play the rules now. Justice Department prosecutors said Navarro tried to hide behind claims of privilege even before he knew what the committee wanted, showing a disdain for the committee. That should, a, that should warrant a longer sentence. Prosecutors had asked a judge to sentence him to six months behind bars and impose a $200,000 fine. 
the White House's top diversity officer and first ever aide in the role, is leaving the Biden administration after three years in his position. Both in office and during the campaign, Leach, who's black, which this is what it states in the article, that's not me pointing that out, spearheaded efforts to create the most diverse general election and White House staffs in history. He was frequently involved in conversations advancing inclusive perspectives in administrative policy. Leach said the role had been the honor of a lifetime and expressed great optimism about the administration's future diversity and inclusion efforts. Um, Leach said it will take time to reflect on how to best increase equity across institutions before his next role. The White House has not immediately replaced its top diversity officer role, but has launched a job search for the position. President Biden promised to build an administration that looks like America, delivers for the American people, said Jen O'Malley. Dylan, the White House Deputy Chief of Staff. Uh, from the campaign to now, Michael Leach was an instrumental partner to us in fulfilling this promise. Leach's departure comes as diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts face growing backlash across major sectors, including business, government, education, healthcare. Right-leaning organizations have increasingly challenged DEI efforts, which are premised on decreasing bias as themselves discriminatory. Republican politicians and activists have depicted diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts as harmful to the country and even gone as far as enacting laws to restrict such policies. Because they are harmful, removing merit and replacing it with who checks the most boxes so you can virtue signal is not a sustainable business model. Look at our vice president, for example. About half of the White House staff identifies as a person of color, and nearly 60% of staffers are women. According to a White House staff report last year, Biden has also signed an executive order promoting diversity and inclusion in the federal workforce broadly. We don't care if you have the qualifications for the job. We just care if you have enough melanin or a vagina. Come work for Daddy Gov. Business Insiders uh, plans to lay off around 8% of its employees as a cost-cutting measure, according to a memo that was sent by the leadership to staffers on Thursday. This year is about making it happen and focusing our company and efforts towards the future. We have already begun to focus teams and invest in areas that drive outside value for our core audience. Unfortunately. This also means we need to scale back in some areas of our organization. A version of this memo was posted online Thursday, while a longer copy sent to employees and shared with news outlets, Semaphore told staffers, if your role is impacted, you will receive an email in the next 15 minutes. Our primary focus is providing our impacted colleagues with clarity and support. 
Those leaving today will receive a minimum of 13 weeks pay, medical coverage through May. We'll also offer career support services, including one-on-one coaching, resume revenue, review, revenue, and training on networking, interviewing, and negotiations. Business Insider is just the latest in a slew of media companies to implement incredibly deep cuts as news providers face major financial headwinds and a difficult advertising market. The Los Angeles Times eliminated dozens of jobs this week as well, while Time and the Washington Post have also made significant reductions in recent weeks. That is your Friday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please like, share, subscribe, do all the things that you're supposed to do. And then this evening at 10.15 Eastern time, oh my God, you guys, I'm going to bed as soon as I get finished with you. Um, at 10.15 Eastern Standard Time this evening, we will be doing Liberty Happy Hour. Please join us. I look forward to seeing you guys. You take care and have a good night. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.